It's almost Christmas, the season of gift giving. And that's what our Christmas show is all about, giving gifts. And about one gift in particular, a gift that cannot be wrapped up or put under a tree. A gift that is invisible. A gift you can't see someone wear, unlike my ugly Christmas sweater. <laughs> it is, of course, the gift of bilingualism. And in the 19 episodes we've produced in our first year, we've talked about the gift a lot. So in this, our Christmas episode, we want to present our gift to you. It's our collection of 12 ways of giving the gift of bilingualism told through the stories of our guests. But first, let's introduce the show. Welcome to America the Bilingual, a podcast reporting on the bilingual movement in America. I'm Steve Levine. And I'm Fernando Hernandez. There must be 12 gifts, right, Steve? <laughs> gift number one, the gift to the very young. This is when children are given the gift without even knowing they are receiving it. Because kids from birth to age six are wired to learning languages. They can learn two or three languages simultaneously and make it seem like no big deal. They hardly know they are doing it. Exactly. Here's an excerpt from episode 8, American Outliers, where we'll hear from Jack Rupers and Nadere Shamlu. Jack spoke only Dutch to their two boys. Goedemorgen, jongens, wakker worden. Good morning, boys, wake up. Of, uh, or, you know, the early bird gets the worm. I would say that in Dutch, the, 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 the vroege vogel krijgt de worm. The zon is al op, sta op. The sun is already up, you get up. Things like that. And a gift is even more special when you think that no one else is getting it. Initially, they thought that when I spoke Dutch to them and nobody else around them in Washington did, that that was a secret language between us and them, me and, and them. So we went to Holland for the first time, I think, at nine. I was nine and you were seven. And uh, we were taking the train from the airport to The Hague, standing in the train first. I got two questions. I said, one of the one of the questions was, everybody is speaking our language. I remember just being blown away. I was like kind of sad a little bit. I remember just being like, you know, crap, our, our secret language has been, you know, someone has kind of infiltrated our secret language and really. And the second question, unfortunately, was, da Daddy, Papi, why are you so small? <laughs> <laughs> because the Dutch, are, so the Dutch are the tallest people on earth, I believe. And Nadere spoke Farsi to them. خب همیشه باشم صحبت میکردم که بیاین ببرین اینو ببر اونو بیار این کارو بکن. Well, I just said that you know I was I would tell them you know take this and bring this and go upstairs you know come down. I'm just trying to understand. I'm trying to put myself in the in their tiny little boy heads. Yeah. of hearing their mother yeah. speak Farsi, hearing their father speak Dutch, mm -hmm. and somehow they made sense of it. Totally. Yes. And then there was Anastasia from episode three, Just Call Me Anna. She spoke only Greek to her son, who she raised in Florida. I kept his ethnic name as Stavros. It was hard for him because they wanted to call him Starburst growing up. So Stavros's first year of life, I spoke only Greek to him. And one day he looks at me, and I'm speaking to him in Greek, and he says, Mom, 
why are you speaking to me like Yaya, which is grandmother, and you don't speak to me the way you speak to daddy? That shocked Anastasia when she realized her son first understood he was hearing different languages before he even knew the word languages. And what about if you don't have a bilingual parent? Can monolinguals raise bilingual kids? That's the title of an upcoming episode we're working on for next year, Can Monolinguals Raise Bilingual Kids? And here's a sneak peek of one such mother, Alison Altman, who is a novice Spanish speaker but has hired a Spanish-speaking nanny to help give the gift to her little girl. Mira, ¿qué tenemos aquí? Un pescado! Un pescadito, un pez. ¿Puede cantar? Un canción para dormir. Okay. Can you sing a, a lullaby for Charlotte? Okay. Estrellita, ¿dónde está? Quiero verte titilar bajo el cielo sobre el mar. So let's go from young children to older adults and our gift number two, the gift of age. Age is usually seen as a negative, but it can be a golden time for language learning. I love our episode 16, Bless the Late Blooming Bilinguals, because it shows that not only can older people learn another language, they can put it to such good use. Here is Robin Loving, who at age 50 moved from Texas to San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, and soon found her mission in life, helping girls in a Catholic orphanage. Although I had had the privilege of having Spanish in school and in college, I had never used it on a consistent basis. And use is what cements the language as far as I'm concerned. So Robin got some books and signed up for private tutoring every day. I immediately signed up with a tutor and I went daily. She must have progressed rapidly with daily tutoring. And I came home every day and cried into my textbooks. Uh-oh. I asked Robin if at some point she felt some triumph with her command of Spanish. Oh, gosh. You know, the triumph for me, Steve, was getting these really conservative Catholic nuns to allow me to come in and, and find out what their true needs were and for the little girls that they were caring for who had been abused and abandoned and worse. Robin got very good at Spanish and used her PR skills to raise over $1 million for the girls. Our next gift, number three, is the gift of time. In this case, an entire year of living abroad with language immersion. In episode 14, The Vanishing High School Year Abroad, we hear from Doug Renfield Miller. I was a very indifferent and rebellious high school student. And in fact, I even have my old report card, which shows that my highest grade is my junior year was a D, and I think that was in physical education. Yes, basically I was getting um, flunking or incompletes and everything. You know, it was the time, it was, I was very active in the Vietnam War movement, but it was, I'll be honest, a lot of drugs. I had a difficult adolescence. Fortunately for Doug, his mother stepped in. My mother heard about school year abroad and I applied not through any 
desire to learn French or go abroad. School Year Abroad, or SYA, is an organization that sends American high school kids overseas to study. I simply applied because I wanted to get away and kind of any change would be good. As we reported in a couple of episodes, study abroad programs are getting shorter and are increasingly in English. Yes, SYA and AFS offer and encourage students to take long programs, but in the rush to get things done and check off boxes, we can forget the subtler benefits of time. It typically takes people a few months before they begin to settle in and experience what we call the Dorothy moment. When all of a sudden, it's as if everything changes from black and white to color. And the new language you're living in suddenly makes a whole lot more sense. But it takes the gift of time. Here's Doug again. Suddenly, after Christmas time, it's like something clicks. And suddenly, you're dreaming in French, you feel conversant in French, and even if you're not totally fluent, suddenly it comes very, very easily. His year abroad was a life-changing experience for Doug, and he continues his love affair with French to this day. And that takes us to gift number four, the gift of a believing parent. A believing parent, or parents, is what helped Doug and another of our guests to have the experience of his life Do you remember David Wolf from episode two? Yes, David was all set to enroll at Oxford for a master's degree. He had even earned a scholarship to attend, but he decided to visit Paris before classes began. He met some French kids going to business school there. And he thought about abandoning Oxford to take business school with classes taught in French. Here's David. I was sweating out the decision, and what I do when I have important decisions to make is I ask a lot of people who I know and respect, and almost everybody I asked told me that I was an idiot for even asking the question, and that nobody in their right mind turns down a, no American in their right mind turns down a full ride to Oxford to consider the going to this French business school, which was perhaps the number one business school in, in France, but still... You know, most Americans have never heard of it, and so, therefore, it was just not a smart thing to consider. And what did his parents think? My parents were the were among the only people to say, you know, life life can be a wonderful adventure if you open up your heart and mind to things. If you want to do the the France thing, then have at it. How did you feel about their support? Oh, I I love them for it. We've heard from others like Doug and David who had life-changing experiences overseas only because their parents supported them and were willing to let them go for long enough. And speaking of David Wolf, he wasn't supported only by loving parents, but by a very important friend. Which takes us to gift number five, the gift of friendship. David Wolf let Oxford go and then something unexpected happens. Let's pick up again in episode two titled, With a Little Help from My Friends. So, David takes the plunge. He enrolls in the French business school. He's elated. But suddenly, the honeymoon was over. When you're in a classroom setting and there's a 60-year-old professor who sort of mumbles and talks at 100 miles an hour about a topic that you don't understand very well in a language that you don't master, bottom line was that, in many cases, I couldn't understand what was going on. 
So what happened? They put me on, on notice, and they said if there wasn't a substantial improvement in the you know, near to medium term, that we might have to find other alternatives. It was uh, a really bad place to be for me, and I, I started thinking I had made a terrible mistake. David told me he had never failed at anything and that he was at a low point in his life. A friend of mine came up to me one day, I must have been looking, looking and feeling particularly sorry for myself, and he came up to me and he said, David, you don't, you don't look so good, you know, what's the matter? And I, I said, well, Gilles, you know, it's nice of you to ask, but the truth is I'm really not doing well at all. You know, I, I turned down my full ride to Oxford. I thought I could give this French school a go, and and uh, I'm, it's not going well at all, and I might fail out, and, and this is like a low point in my life. Can you remember a time when you reached out to a friend in need, or when a friend reached out to you? And he looked at me, and he said, I want you to go pack your bags, and I'm going to take you to my hometown of Toulouse. We're going to have a great time. And then I'm going to take you to Saint-Emilion in Bordeaux, where I know several uh, fantastic chateau owners. And we're going to eat and drink like never ate and drank before. And during this trip, we'll really brainstorm a lot about putting together a, an emergency plan for you to help save your silly American butt. And I looked at him. I said, wow, you know, that is that's so kind of you to say that, but I can't just, we can't just up and go. We have class. We have classes. And he looks at me and he smiles and he goes, well, what's the difference? You don't understand anything. So, <laughs> so the logic, they say, you know, logique impeccable in French. I just said, you know, logique impeccable. And it worked. With a little help from his friend, David relaxed, enjoyed living in French, developed a plan to get some extra help, a bit of extra time. Because he had the gift of a good friend who took care of him, David came sailing through the storm to sunny bilingual days. Now here we are at the midpoint, gift number six. We're going to share a common occurrence in America when the gift of bilingualism is not given, but denied. When parents choose not to speak their native language to their children. In episode nine, Ed Delatore doesn't speak Spanish, we hear how Ed's parents, immigrants from Puerto Rico, did not speak Spanish to their son. Let's join this episode when Ed is explaining what it was like when every summer his parents took him back to Puerto Rico. For my parents, of course, it was a very comfortable and very natural thing for them to visit with all their sisters and brothers and other relatives. And of course, everyone was speaking Spanish and having a wonderful time visiting with each other. And I remember very distinctly hating those moments uh, because I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. So how is that a gift? Of course it's not. But some people who have been denied the gift decide to earn it themselves, the hard way, by studying in school and then living abroad. 
That's what Ed Delatore's daughter, Allison, did. I did a five-week summer program in Sevilla, Spain. Loved that. Absolutely loved Sevilla. I lived with a host mom and learned definitely vocabulary there. She would put on the TV at dinner time and I would listen to the Spanish from there. Um, we had all of our classes in Spanish. So I definitely felt very comfortable with it. Allison also went on several mission trips to Latin America, and it was there that her language skills blossomed. My first trip was to Peru. Then I took two trips to Guatemala and two to, or no, I'm sorry, one to Ecuador. The rest of my team members, very few of them spoke Spanish. And so they would ask me for help when we would go out and talk to the people in each of the countries. I loved on my last trip to Ecuador, at the end of the trip, the translators gave me a translator T-shirt and said, you're one of us. You get to have we wanted to give you this T-shirt. So I still have that today. Fernando, one of my Spanish tutors once said to me, no one can be taught a language. They must learn it. At first, I didn't understand what she meant, but then I understood she was explaining that successful language learners are those who have a thirst for the language and pull it into themselves. They are not passively taught, they actively learn. It's not necessary that you be denied a birthright from your parents in order to have this thirst. Whatever the reason, some people give the gift of bilingualism to themselves. And now for gift number seven, the gift of recognition. This gift started 20 years ago when some parents and educators got mad. And why was that? They got mad about a proposition that passed in California that virtually outlawed bilingual education. They said, no, this is not right. Let's make a positive out of bilingualism and award a seal on the diplomas of high school students who can pass a test, written and oral, to demonstrate their proficiency in two languages. We interviewed one of the founders of this idea, which came to be known as the Seal of Biliteracy. We're talking about high school seniors, right? She's Shelley Spiegel Coleman. We asked her how the Seal changes the narrative. Children that all parents watch going through the grades and then they see them graduating. And at graduation, you know, the athletes get recognized, the high academic achievers get recognized, and now at graduation, biliterate students get recognized and they're recognized by the state and so I think this creates in local communities a real position of I mean a real sense of pride I mean I think that changes people's minds and attitudes. Once the seal of biliteracy became law in California other states were quick to follow. So six months after we passed ours New York passed the state seal of biliteracy legislation signed by Governor Cuomo and then about six months after that, Illinois passed it. And then one by one, I mean, we were getting calls, all kinds of calls, uh, asking, you know, for help and advice. We were very, very surprised by it, by how it spread throughout the nation. We never had that in mind, ever. We never thought that was going to happen. And Massachusetts just became the 30th state to adopt the seal of biliteracy. The gift of recognition is spreading.
That takes us to gift number eight, the gift of wisdom. This is one of my favorite stories of someone who didn't receive the gift, but knew the power of languages. You're talking about a CEO named Lois Melbourne, who was looking to expand her software company in Europe. She hired as her head of sales an American who could speak the major languages of Europe, a polyglot named Andy Simmons. In episode five, titled The CEO and the Polyglot, Lois tells the story of a sales meeting in France when she let Andy lead the meeting. I think that they really did appreciate that a CEO was willing to show that she didn't, you know, she wasn't the top person in the room trying to make everything fit for her. It's like, no, this meeting was about my customer. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me feeling comfortable. It was about them feeling comfortable and us getting their solution for them. That would have been very, very different had we only been speaking in English. Lois Melbourne may not have learned French well enough to speak to her customers, but she learned enough to hire someone who did. Our next gift is number nine, the gift of gap. A gap year, that is. Or to use a term that is growing in popularity, a bridge year. It's a growing trend in America. While high school and college study abroad programs are becoming shorter and increasingly are in English, a social entrepreneur named Abby Falick founded Global Citizen Year, which places high school graduates in another country where they must operate in a language other than English during the year before they begin college. Here's an excerpt of Abby from episode 17, from gap year to bridge year. Historically, we have considered this gap year to be somewhat remedial for kids who are off track or who might need an extra year to mature, maybe didn't get into college. The whole idea needs a refresh, says Abby, and her Global Citizen Year fellows are doing just that. I think we can't really connect with other people unless we're speaking to them in their own language or at least making some effort to. Steve, do you remember the name of your first Spanish teacher? I remember not paying attention. I remember the name of one of my first English teachers. Her name was Patricia. And although she had the demeanor of an uptight governess, she played us songs to sing along. I was around six, and thanks to her, I started to understand the lyrics of the Beatles. So that was the gift of a teacher. Some of us are lucky enough to have great teachers along the way. And we heard from many of our guests about the role of a special teacher in their lives. Cyrus and Philip Rupers, the boys who heard their father speak Dutch and their mother speak Farsi to them on episode 8, they took French in school. This is what they said about their French teacher. So one of the things I remember from my French teacher, Miss Swope, for me, she was one of the best teachers I ever had. Well, I didn't agree with her at the time, but definitely years past, like, I realized how much of a you know, contribution she's made to my life. And here is one of our guests in episode 19, Kristen Jewett, who was so inspired by her teacher that she became a teacher herself. I started taking German in seventh grade because Frau Berger was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. She was my seventh and eighth grade German teacher in Groveland, Massachusetts in the Pentucket School District. And she was wonderful, warm and intelligent and engaging. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. 
You know what I remember hearing a lot in our recording booth at the Actful Teachers Conference in Nashville last month? When is my interview going to air? <laughs> Close, but not quite. When you'd ask them about technology, they mentioned the bubblefish from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy a lot. Yes, many people hope to get their hands on such a gift, the gift of technology. And this gift we haven't talked about much, but we're going to next year. Will technology make language learning obsolete? Or will technology make language learning more delightful? Or both? By the way, you got some sort of a bubble fish lately, didn't you? Well, I did just buy the new Google Pixel phone and the Pixel Buds to test out just how good Google Translate can be. And speaking of technology, last week Lori and I went to see the new Disney Pixar animation that is sweeping the box office, Coco, about the Mexican Day of the Dead. Dia de Muertos. Yes, it came out in Mexico in Spanish, of course, before it came to the United States. But guess what? When Lori and I were in the theater in South Florida... She and everyone else in the audience was watching the movie in English, but I had my headphones on, plugged into my phone, which was running a new app called Theater Ears. I could hear the soundtrack in Spanish. Of course, the app is designed for native Spanish speakers who rather watch the movie in Spanish, but it also works for language learners like me. We'll be interviewing several experts about the role of technology next year. And this brings us to our last and somewhat surprising gift of bilingualism number 12, Learning a language by not studying it. Perdón? At a certain point, one must stop studying a language and begin living a language. Language teachers, by the way, will be among the first to tell you this. You'll remember David Wolfe, who went to business school in France. He didn't study French. He studied business in French. It was daunting. But he did it and became fluent in the process. He wanted to give that gift to his older daughter, so he signed her up for a sailing class last summer in France. Well, Alexandra is 15, and we just enrolled her uh, a week ago uh, for a week or two program in the south of France where she'll be learning to sail. And she's a little scared because, you know, she doesn't know how to sail, so she'll be learning something in a foreign language, which... Mm -hmm. <laughs> As you know, I, I know is daunting. And what should life be if not daunting? We'll be doing an episode next year titled How to Learn a Language by Not Studying It, with more stories of people who have found ways to do just that. That's going to be a lot of fun. So that's it, our dear listeners, our 12 gifts of bilingualism. We hope you will either give one of these gifts or receive one. Or both. Yes, even better. And thank you all for giving us the gift of your listening. We hope you'll share America the Bilingual with your family and friends and help spread the bilingual movement in America. Merry Christmas to all. Feliz Navidad a todos. America the Bilingual is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. 
Our associate producer is Becky Rankin. Check out the rest of our cast at americathebilingual.com, including Mim Harrison, Maya Thomas, Carlos Plaza, and, of course, Chet Von Mutt, our Barklingual mascot. Special thanks to all of our guests who have appeared on America the Bilingual this year. We're toasting to you this holiday season. Fernando, you've got some music credits. Music in this episode with a Creative Commons attribution share alike license by, in order of appearance, Mystery Mammal, Kevin MacLeod, Lee Rosbeer, Chris Sabrisky, Frederick Lardon featuring Laura Paul May, Francisco Penilla, Mark Castle, and Mind's Eye. As always, visit americathebilingual.com for links to all the episodes we've mentioned in our 12 Gifts of Bilingualism. And our thanks again to you, listeners, for all of your kind words of encouragement during our first year of America the Bilingual. See you all next year. Nos vemos en el año nuevo. Is that right? Uh, actually, nos vemos en año nuevo, but yeah, yeah, we're going to work on your accent. <laughs> all right. <laughs>